Hi there. How's everyone doing? Happy Father's Day. How about the Festival of Testosterone out there? That's pretty cool, isn't it? Make sure, yeah, buddy, make sure at the end of the night you get yourself a brat or a dog. Get a brat or a dog. And way to go, the team of guys who poured into that deal, making it happen out there. Way to go. Yeah, that's fantastic. Good job. Let's just dive right in. You know that it's a true statement that any thriving enterprise, whether it be a business or organization of any kind, even a family for that matter, begins with a vision of what could be, doesn't it? A vision of a preferred future than the one that's unfolding right now. Just about four years ago, Journey Church was born as nothing more than a vision in the hearts and in the minds of about seven people. It was a vision of a preferred future for the 65,000-some people in the Gallatin Valley who were still living far from God. And the vision of Journey Church then and still is now, it's rooted in a preferred future of inviting people into a personal relationship with the God who loves them enough that he made a way for them to live with him forever. The second piece of that preferred future was to help nurture and grow the faith of those who took God up on his offer of a relationship with him. And all the way from the birth of the vision of Journey Church over four years ago, all the way until today, and as long as we exist as a church for as much time as God gives us, we're entirely dissatisfied with the status quo trajectory of those 65,000 people in the Gallatin Valley who are living far from God this moment. Because God has a preferred future for them. God has a vision for them, and he's asked us, this little church called Journey, to be the vision casters, to be the inviters, and to be just one of his implementation tools for bringing that vision into reality. And this concept of vision, see, this concept of a preferred future, it isn't just some corporate mumbo-jumbo cooked up for the business world. The concept of vision, this concept of a preferred future, is actually God himself comes from God himself. If you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to Proverbs 29, 18. You know this verse, I'm sure. I'm going to read it from the King James Version because the Bible paints for us in this text the importance of vision. Look at Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no vision, what happens? The people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is only status quo, people perish. Where there is no concept of God's preferred future, people languish and suffer and are left to their own ways and their own devices. Without any concept of a preferred future and what that can look like, hope is diminished and mediocrity and the status quo becomes the norm. A lack of a vision of a preferred future causes people, all people, us, just to exist. And I find it very interesting that most all of us seated in this room live our business and professional lives in climates of highly idealized futures, don't we? Most of us, day in and day out, are involved in building prevailing enterprises on the notion that the status quo doesn't have to be the way things are forever, that there can actually be a better future. But I find it very disheartening that while so many of us are living a highly visionary business and professional life, how seldom we bring the concept of vision, how seldom we import the concept of a preferred future into our homes into our families, into our marriages, and that grieves me, frankly. That grieves me. 
How many of us day in and day out are grinding out whatever it takes to build a preferred future eight or 10 or 12 hours a day at our office, at our job site, wherever it is that we conduct our business life, but then we come home, we cross the threshold of our house and we're content with just the status quo and maintaining just what we've got. No vision of any preferred future of our marriage, of our kids. No vision of what could be in our marriage or with our kids. Just the status quo. Sometimes it looks like this. Just a little dinner, some TV, a flurry of activity around getting the kids tucked into bed, maybe a little headache getting them tucked into bed, a little more TV, and then we ourselves collapse into bed and we wake up tomorrow and we do it all over again. And I know just how that goes because I fall prey to it more often than I like to admit. And because it's Father's Day weekend and our time that we have together here today, I want to invite you dads and even you future dads to step into your role as the head coach of your home, the head coach of your family, and take up the responsibility for vision casting and cultivating and bringing into reality your family's preferred future. Wednesday of this week, I got another serious wake-up call of my need to help bring about a preferred future in our house with our family, more so than the one that we're living on currently, because the one we're headed toward at the moment, it ain't good. Let me tell you. Here's how it unfolded. I walked in the door from work. I was collecting myself, just taking a few moments to kind of gather the mail, take a peek at the paper, etc. Suddenly, I noticed some motion out of the corner of my eye. When I looked up, our six-year-old Bailey was standing in front of me with no pants on, no underwear on, pointing to an enormous round bruise on her posterior. And it was like purple and brown. And I was like, oh, my word. And she's going, Daddy, look what Dylan did to me, she exclaimed. I was like, what the heck happened? What is that even? Dylan bit me on the butt, Daddy, (laughs) she declared. So, like, matter-of-factly, as if this sort of thing was happening at our house every single day, right? So I did a little investigative work. I interviewed all the parties involved. And sure enough, I found out that Bailey had taken a toy that Dylan had and in his retaliatory rage, chomped right down on Bailey's rear end. And I'm going like... Who taught him that? Like, where does that come from? It must be genetic, probably his mom's genes, most likely. (laughs) Holy cow, you talk about the need to invite my family, my children, into a preferred future. Anything is better than the butt-biting future, right? That's not going anywhere. It brings us to our big idea for today. It reads like this. Dads, as the head coach of your family... You're responsible for bringing about your family's preferred future by equipping your kids to win every day, by equipping your families even to win every day. In my opinion, athletic coaches flesh out what it means to bring about a preferred future in one of the most real, visible, and tangible ways imaginable. For that reason, we enlisted the help of a guy who I consider to be a stellar head coach of a different kind of family, MSU head football coach Rob Ash, who actually uses, by the way, the word family to describe his coaching staff of 10 and 104, get that number in your head, 104 boys who make up the MSU football team family, his words. And I did that so that we could learn from him 
dads, a few head coaching tips that cross over from the football field to our work in being the head coaches of our kids and our families. And in my opinion, he does not disappoint. We have much to learn from him today. And so here's how this is going to unfold in our time together. We're going to watch my interview with Coach Ash a bit at a time. We'll watch it a bit, and then I'm going to help bridge the connection from coaching on the football field to coaching our kids and our families, and we're going to call these the coaching tips for dad, the family coach. That's what this is today, coaching tips for dad, the family coach. So let's roll the first bite of the interview segment one. Here we go. We all, you included, want to see a bunch of W's Mm -hmm. in the win-loss column this year. But I just, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm guessing that this coaching deal for you isn't so much about necessarily winning and losing, uh, but there's got to be something else behind that. Am I right? That's correct. I mean, obviously, the wins are important. I mean, we're, we're all competitive if we're in this business, and as a coach... I think that's what drives us. I mean, it, but it isn't just the competition on Saturday, although that's the culmination of all of our efforts. And we compete all year long. We compete for, in recruiting, you know, with the other teams that are at our level. We recruit. We compete on just the public relations, our facilities, everything that we try to do. You're always competing with the other teams at your, your level. But I think I've stayed in coaching because I've seen the development of what happens to a young man in, in my program. And I see that we win in terms of that young man's life and what, what the impact we have on his life. And I call it winning every day. And I talk a lot about that with the team is that, you know, there's a value to what we do just because we do it, just by being in the program. Uh, people get uh, lessons, life lessons from being part of this, of this team, this, this family we call a team. And, you know, that part of it has, has really turned out to be the, the most rewarding part of my occupation, although I still do like the W's. And so that winning every day really sums up your mm-hmm. philosophy of coaching. Then. It really does. That's it. Yeah, it really does. We talk about it all the time here. I believe it very much personally that uh, a guy needs to have a positive experience being a football player in my program uh, every day that he's that, that, you know, that he lives, every day that he's out there. So if it means just having a good practice or a good workout in the weight room or having a good evening out with his teammate friends you know, on a day when we don't have practice or a game. I mean, it, just being part of the group, part of the organization should enhance his life, in my opinion, every day. You're setting him up. He might play four or five years mm-hmm. with you, and then he might go on to play mm-hmm. at the next level. Yeah. And so you're setting him up to win after this season of life right. is over. That's correct. That's really the whole point. You know, I, I've I am entrusted by the families, you know, the mothers and fathers yes. of these young men who give me their, you know, their son to come and play football and be a student, you know, during the four or five years they're here. And it's my job to turn that uh, that person over into the society, you know, as a, a changed and better young man, you know, somebody who's capable of making good decisions, who has a great education now to live his life, build his life on, and somebody who hopefully learned a lot of lessons about discipline and teamwork and and friendship and loyalty and all those other platitudes that are realities really in football and that's it's my job for them to be better people when they leave here than they were when they started point number one on your outline if you're following along is we need to set our kids and our families as a whole up to win every day 
Just like it isn't enough for Coach Ash to have football players who only win on 12 Saturdays throughout the fall, it is not enough for us as fathers to have families and raise kids who only win in one arena of life. If Dana and I decide, say, to work real hard in just one area, let's just pick education, for example, and we pound our four kids on the need for them to succeed on the academic front, and we coach them in rigorous study habits, and we hire tutors in the summer to continue their learning while school is not in session, and they go on, and they are very successful on the academic front, but have abysmal ethics and integrity and morals because education and academics was the one thing we pounded into our kids. We didn't work on ethics and integrity and morals, then we have not set our kids up to win every single day. Everything that our kids encounter in their lives does not occur in just an academic setting, just like everything that an MSU football player encounters in the rest of their life is not in a sports competition setting. Setting our kids and our families up to win every day involves very careful, very measured coaching in every area of our kids' and families' lives. The spiritual component, the social component, the emotional component, all the parts, not just one or two parts. Helping our kids win every day, dads, is a lot like watching the gauges on a dashboard. I used to work in the timber industry in Northern California. I was a logger. It's hard to believe, but I was a, the show Axemen. Any of you watch Axemen? Right? Yeah, in HD even. Yeah, buddy. That was me. Like, that's what I, I mean, I'm not on the show, but that was what I did, right? One of the things I did as a logger was I hauled logs. I drove a logging truck. That's frightening, isn't it? Think about that for a moment. A big 18-wheeler going down the road. My truck actually only had 14 wheels. Some guys needed 18. I only needed 14 to do what I did. My log truck was a late model Peterbilt log truck. It had an immense number of gauges on the dashboard. They monitored all kinds of things. Air pressure, differential temperatures, turbo temperature, exhaust temperature, oil pressure, oil temperature, RPM, transmission temperature. There's something like 14 gauges on the dash of my log truck. And I had to pay careful and close attention to every single one of those gauges so that I could guarantee my safe and timely arrival at my intended destination. Just watching my speedometer would not have been good enough because if I overheat the engine because I'm not paying attention to the engine coolant temperature gauge, I'm not going anywhere except out to see the snap-on guy for some tools to like fix the problem, right? Helping our kids win every day, dads, is about watching all of the gauges on the dashboard of our kids' lives, see, and giving very intentional and balanced attention to every single one of them because they all matter. That's what winning every day is all about. They all matter, every area of our kids' and families' lives. Point number two that we'll lift out of that little clip right there was that we are in charge, we are responsible to steward our kids and steward our families. Well, you heard Coach Ash say it this way, his quote was, better than when we started. That we would leave those players, he says, better than when we started. Now, dads, get this. We are entrusted by God with these kids that we have, or those of us who are future dads in this room, the kids you'll eventually have, right? Those are not our kids. We play a much smaller part in bringing them into this world than we think we do. And one of my favorite things we ever do around Journey Church is the baby dedication deal. 
If you've been around here very much, you may have seen one of those where we invite parents up here onto the stage and they declare publicly in front of all of you that those are God's kid or God's kids and they are resolute in their commitment to steward that kid, those kids, with all diligence. And it's a very simple thing. It doesn't take very long at all. But the meaning is incredibly profound, see. Because when we steward something... That means we're returning it in better condition than when we found it. When we apply the principle of stewardship to our kids and to our families, that means that we're leading them, that means we're managing them in a superior way than if they were just on their own, growing older, without any input from us. The truth is that all of our kids will grow older, even without any input from us whatsoever. Maybe we slide a little food under the door, and they're going to grow older. It's just a biological fact. That's the way it goes. But stewarding our kids and our families means that we provide a godly influence in their lives that sets them up to be better at the end than they were at the beginning. Setting them up to be better at the end than they are at the beginning. That means for us, dads, all parents as a matter of fact, our homes are the launch pads of our kids' entire lives. Our home is the launch pad. Now, I'm a space shuttle junkie. I think our space shuttles are incredible feats of ingenuity and skill, magnificent vessels. And when there's a mission up or a mission about to launch, I'll watch the NASA channel anytime our kids and Dana will let me. They cannot stand how boring it is, but I just eat that thing up. And if you know anything about the... I'm a geek, I know. If you know anything about the space shuttle, you know how important the launch pad is to any space shuttle mission. If things do not go well on the launch pad preceding a launch, it's real likely that the mission will not go well. Think back to the Challenger in 1986, right? And see... From the moment our kids are born until about, and I mean about age 18 or so, our homes are launch pads for our kids. And just like with any space shuttle that's sitting out on a launch pad at Kennedy Space Center, everything that goes on points toward launching that shuttle with excellence. Dads, the very same principle is at play with us. Every single thing that goes on from the moment that that umbilical cord is cut, and by the way, those are harder to cut than you think they're going to be. They're kind of like a tough state. You just got to push down real hard. I've done four of those, and harder than you think you're going to have to. Everything we do from the moment that cord is cut should be pointing toward a healthy launch of our kids. See, that means that every act and every word, and every challenge, and every correction, and every conversation with our kids is not just trivia. It isn't just the passing of time. It isn't just about, yep, we're just getting by until our kid is finally financially independent. It's actually strategic activity toward their excellent launch. I invite you to watch segment number two of our interview. Talk a little bit about the living, you're sitting in a living room with a recruit and his parents and uh, I would imagine you're selling yourself as much as you're selling the program. Like you can trust your son mm-hmm. to me. Is that a reality? That is, that is very much part of what we try to get across to the families when we, when we visit. When we do home visits with every single young man that we recruit, 
And it's very important because I want to see where they live. I want to see the family interaction and what kind of respect he has for his parents and what kind of expectations they have for him. And they are, in fact, turning him over to us in our program, and I want them to feel comfortable with all of that. Now, in reality, the young man sitting there, what he wants to hear about is <laughs> how much he's going to play, exactly. how much money is he going to make, you know, this scholarship's going to be worth. And, you know, they're not really focused on these big life lessons. Mom and dad probably are, yes. although dad's not always. Yeah, <laughs> they want to know about how much the son's going to play, too. Right. But it's got to be broached, and I think, you know, people expect that, and we, we need to do that. It's a very important part of the process because, in reality, that's... You know, we will be closer in contact with these young men over the next four or five years than any other person on the campus by far. By far. So that's that's why they have to trust us and believe in us when the when the young man signs up. Dads, point number three is this: our character counts. Dads, our character absolutely counts. You heard Coach Ash say it. His players have to trust in us and believe in us. And dads, just like Coach Ash's players have to trust in him and believe in him and his staff, our kids must be able to trust in us and believe in us. And in order for that to happen, our character must be intact. It must be intact. Coach Ash and his football staff could be the most exceptional football coaches on the planet, but if they're flaky and if they're shady, if they lack integrity, nobody is going to play football for those guys because players see right through that stuff, and so do our kids, dads. Look at Psalm 78, 72. This is a powerful verse from the Bible. He cared for them with a true heart, and led them with skillful hands. He cared for them with a true heart and led them with skillful hands. I don't very often tell you to memorize a verse. This verse is worth memorizing, especially dads. He cared for them with a true heart and led them with skillful hands. You talk about a theme verse for dads who want to lead their families and lead their kids with integrity. Yes, dads, our skills absolutely matter. But a true heart, that is a heart that is after God, a heart that is rightly related to God, a heart that is well-ordered and pure and whole, a heart of integrity matters much more than any skill any of us have. Our character, dads, is what produces the confidence in our kids and in our families. When our wives and when our kids see the quality of our lives, they realize that we have something significant to contribute to their lives. They realize that we are capable of being trusted. They realize that we have their best interest in heart and mind, that we would not lie to them. That character factor, dads, it's the greatest thing that we have going for us. Do not, please do not do anything to shred your character because it takes a lifetime to build and develop character, but in just an instant, it can be destroyed and it is incredibly difficult to rebuild. Character counts, dads. Watch the next video segment. That's the family aspect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the door's open. I tell... Uh, I saw a sign years ago that I really believe in. It was uh, that I, you know, the, has said something like it said, uh, "Players are not an interruption of our work; they're why we're here." So if a player comes to my door and I'm doing anything, I immediately stop what I'm doing, and my coaches are instructed to do the same. Even if we're in a full staff meeting, if a player comes and knocks on the door, whoever he wants to see, whichever coach 
can immediately leave the meeting and go. Now, anybody else, if you tried to interrupt staff no, meeting, sorry. I don't get to, yeah. <laughs> so they have privileges by being in the family. So. Dads, we got to be fully available to our kids. We got to be fully available to our kids. And I would say to your wife, too, obviously. Coach Ash said it really well. Make sure that they know, your wife and your kids know, that your door is always open. Make sure that they know that if there's any way possible when the phone rings and it's them, that you're going to answer their call. Make sure that they know that they are never an interruption to your life, to your world, to your work. And while that's very easy to talk about, it is no small feat to live that out, is it? It's not all that difficult to be physically available to our wife and kids. When they call, we answer, sure. When they come by our office, we drop everything we're doing physically. But the real challenge, as I see it, is to be emotionally available to our families. Emotionally available to our families. And if our brains are constantly preoccupied with what's coming next, we will not ever be able to engage with our families at the emotional, at the most important level. And I got to confess to you today, that is very difficult for me. It is incredibly difficult for me. I'm a type A driven personality. I'm always thinking about the next thing, tomorrow's meeting, next weekend's message, next fall's challenges, the next paper I have to get written. But I'm learning that for me to be emotionally available, for me to be fully available to my wife and my kids, I must put that stuff out of my mind. That takes immense amounts of discipline. And here's what I do most days. I'm catching a groove. I'm getting into a groove of discipline to help me be more emotionally available to my family when I walk through the door at the end of a workday. At the end of a workday these days, most every day, I hit the gym. I work out for around 45 minutes or until I fall over panting on the ground. And I use that to clear my head of the whatnot, I call it, of the day. And I leave that at the gym. I go into the locker room. I take a shower. I call it washing the day off. It's kind of figuratively washing the day off. I get into my car and I call Dana. The first thing I do when I get into my car is I call Dana and I tell her, honey, I'm coming home. And uh, you should have my slippers and my newspaper and my appetizer, my favorite chair ready for me the moment I walk. Just kidding. But I do. I call Dana and I tell her I'm coming home. And I'm actually looking forward to coming home. And in between that call, it's not a very long call. I ask her if she needs anything from the store. In between that call and my arrival home, it takes me about seven minutes to get from the club to home. I do not answer the phone. It rings sometimes. And I don't let anything from the day clutter up my mind. There are very rare exceptions to that rule. But most days, that's just how it goes for me. And I do that because I've learned that's what it takes for me to be fully ready to engage at a physical and emotional level with my family the moment I walk through the door of our house. I invite you to figure out a pattern in your life, dads, that works for you so that you're ready emotionally, not just physically, but emotionally when you walk through the doors at the end of your workday. It'll probably look different for you than it does for me. That's fine. That's great. Just the goal is availability, full availability to our families. Watch segment number four, if you would. Get inside a little bit of uh, what you see as your players' greatest needs when they land on your doorstep, so to speak? What? It's a kind of a hard question. No, it's but... a hard question, but I, I think my first reaction is this, that uh, most really good athletes are pretty self-centered. 
and usually have a, a you know a, a lot of individualized types of goals and priorities. And I think the biggest project I have over the course of their career is to broaden their horizons and get them thinking about doing something for the team, contributing to the team, being yeah. a part of the team, yes. and uh, having a greater goal in mind than just their own personal satisfaction. And we're not always successful because right. uh, you know, a lot of the motivation still is one guy's own playing time, his yep. accolades, his awards, his touchdowns. Yep. But we really work hard to try to get the guys to understand that anything that happens on the field is a result of everyone's efforts and not just an individual, especially in the sport of football. It's, yeah. it's such a great sport because yeah. the team element is so so critical to any, any individual's success. Yeah. Dads, one of our primary roles is to help our kids understand that life is not all about them. Help our kids understand that life is not all about them. How many of you have noticed that your kids are quite self-centered? Yeah, a lot like a college football player, right? It's just the way it goes. So easily, we just naturally go to that place. And while Coach Ash says it well, a player's greatest need is to take their eyes off of themselves and be coached to think about the team. We all know that a similar need exists with our kids. That we would coach them to take their eyes off of themselves and realize that they are a part of a much larger story than just the clothes they wear, the car they drive, the college they attend, the job they hold, the street that they live on, just what's going on in their little world. Because here's the truth. God created our kids, right? God created our kids. It's also true that God loves our kids so much that he sent his one and only son to sacrifice, to lay down his own life, to rescue them to rescue all of humanity, for that matter, from a hopeless, dark existence apart from him. What's also true is that when we step over the line of faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and we make him our boss, we actually cross a threshold into a whole new way of life. Our course of living at that moment will never be the same. It's also true that we are a part of God's redemptive plan and story, and we have a significant, a very significant role in that story's unfolding. God actually invites us to participate with him in sharing that story, and that's it. That's what life is all about. It isn't about how many touchdowns we score, how many sacks we make. It's not about anything else in knowing Jesus and making him known through every avenue of our lives. That's the biggest deal going on planet Earth. And it's very interesting that Coach Ash talked about a player's greatest need is taking their eyes off of themselves. Because that's exactly what God invites all of us to do. To take our eyes off of ourselves, to lift our eyes from ourselves and look on him and look on others and actually die to ourselves actually lay down our lives for the sake of others. And we do that as we make the story of the message of Jesus Christ available to them and we communicate it through every avenue in our lives. Dads, we got to help our kids understand that life is not all about them. Watch the next segment of the video if you would. 
I've been doing some reading about coaches' halftime protocol, mm-hmm. and uh, some there's shouting and yelling and come on. Mm-hmm. Um, others are steely and more business-like. What's mm-hmm. uh, halftime in your locker room <laughs> look and feel yeah. like? Most of the time, I'm pretty measured, and and I take the sort of the academic approach to the game. What's yeah. broken? What needs to be fixed? Yeah. You know, how do I, I believe this? I believe the time for real hard driving uh, intensity is during the week in practice, during the preparation phase when we're trying to learn and trying to get guys focused on what they need to do. Uh, Most every athlete I've ever been in touch with really wants to win on game day and and is focused. It's very rare, at least in football, you know, we don't, and we only play 12 games. We don't play 160 like baseball (laughs) or something. So, uh, you know, just about every guy I've ever had is motivated on game day. He doesn't really need to be inspired to play hard. He wants to play hard because it's a, it's a rare uh, day when we play a game. So I don't think it helps much to get on guys and scream and yell at them in game, on game day. Uh, what I try to do is try to get them focused on how to channel those energies. You know, if I've got a lot of you know, uh, adrenaline and a lot of excitement in me, you know, maybe that's gonna cause me to jump off sides or forget my assignments. And so I keep trying to get them focused back on what they need to do from a fundamental standpoint, doing their technique right on every play they're trying to execute, and what are their assignments, and what's the other team doing to us, and how can we adjust? So it's very, it's very decentralized, first of all. My assistant coaches have their guys in little clusters. Yeah, so that's that same grouping that we were talking about earlier, where you have your guy you've developed a relationship with, he's working with you in a small uh, cluster there to try to you know, get their you know, particulars figured out for what they need to do. Then I gather the whole group for just a few minutes right before we go back out and try to put it all together about usually about supporting each other and staying calm, you know, staying on our on our game plan and realizing it's a long game. And if we, you know, get to the fourth quarter with a chance to win, that we rely on our training and our conditioning and our preparation to pull us through. And I also believe that that communication from coaches needs to be similar to, to communication that that I would expect in my own family. Uh, I listened to I read. I guess it was in a clinic, Mac Brown from Texas, who I highly respect, a great coach. Um, he talked about coaching his players and talking to his players like he would talk to his own son. Yes. And I, I think that's very important. That every, every player deserves to be talked to as if he's part of the family. Yes. And so we do. I mean, that doesn't mean you can't discipline them. We do. Yes. And they can't hold them accountable because we do. But we do that in a matter-of-fact tone when when somebody screws up and makes a mistake and comes in my office they don't the the tone doesn't go higher but the but the uh, seriousness is very evident to the young man who's in there and then you do have to search and and emphasize the positives we talk a lot about the media Uh, you know there's a there's a sort of a perception that the media always write negative things and I think they sensationalize those sometimes but the you know, they'll write what you do. Yes. And I tell my team, if we win, they'll write positive things. You know, and if we do, uh, you know, like just the community service that all Montana State athletes just concluded a year with almost 6,000 hours of community service, it's incredible. And yeah. they'll write about that. They, they have. So they'll, if we do positive things, they'll write positive and if, uh, things about us. And we have to keep remembering that, that, that we're representing our team all the time in both positive and negative ways. Point number six on your outline if you're tracking there. Dads, use strategic training sessions with your kids. 
Use strategic training sessions with your kids. I recently read an account by a former New Orleans Saint player who was traded to the Dallas Cowboys back in the Tom Landry coaching era. He told about the incredible contrast between the Saints and the Cowboys, which was captured in vivid color by the differing ways that the two coaches approached halftime and the adjustments that always have to be made for the second half. He wrote, the Saints coach, who he interestingly doesn't name for us, would herd us into the locker room and yell at the top of his lungs things like, you girls aren't hitting, you sissies aren't tackling, you tomatoes aren't running hard. Not sure why he called them tomatoes. I don't quite get that. But it was after this brilliant technical analysis, this former player goes on to say, of our first half performance, that he roared on with these ingenious instructions for the second half. I want you guys to get out there and hit harder, tackle harder, and run harder. Now get out there, get out of my sight, and prove to the fans that you don't wear skirts, he said. And the author talked about how every single time, after any halftime, that with very careful precision, whoever it was that the saints were playing literally picked the saints apart after that coach's masterful halftime pep talk. He went on to compare the Saints' experience with being in the locker room with Tom Landry at halftime. The Cowboys would all file in. They would take a break. They would settle in. They would get comfortable. And then Landry would very carefully, in measured tones, call their attention to the one or two offensive plays that were hurting them the most. And in his Texas draw with his NBA style, Landry would calmly and carefully give an audible option, for example, that would fix just what was broken. The author said, look, everybody knew how the enemy was hurting us, what we had to do to stop it. It wasn't a question of, it was a question of playing smarter, not just playing harder. It's the team, he says, that knows where to line up, what angle to charge, and how to execute the proper techniques that makes it to the playoffs, and how right he is. Dad's Our kids do not need anyone yelling at them when it comes time for them to make a change in their behavior. They don't need anybody yelling at them. Coach Ash points that out, the way he uses measured tones intentionally with his team, like they're a member of the family, he says. Our role, dads, is in Tom Landry style to calmly take our kids aside and have what Kelly Freed, our own Kelly Freed, calls a strategic training session. And it sounds all like fancy, right? But it's not. It's nothing fancy at all. It's a simple five minute, it can take longer, sit down, where we as dads, moms, you can do this one too, where we call and invite our kids to a different standard than the one that they've been attaining to in the past. It's a calm conversation. It's a conversation that's probably at a time that is outside and away from the heat of battle. We all know that, right? And at the end of it, it's very affirming to our kids. I've never, ever met a kid who didn't want to succeed. I've never met a kid who didn't want to succeed, who didn't want to please their parents. And if we encourage their success in those sessions, we relate much better to our kids. We're showing that we pay better attention to them. We just flat communicate better what our expectations are than when we're in the middle of the heat of battle and tensions are high and voices are raised. Watch this next segment. 
to me about catching guys doing the right thing. How, mm -hmm. how, can you speak about a little bit yeah. about that, how you do that? Well, it's a, it's a tremendous uh, reward. I, I focus on that all the time. I, every time I have a team meeting, I try to bring up positive examples of things that our players have done. Um, you know, I learned something on the field, too, about, uh, you know, just tone of voice. You know, and, and I try to teach this to my coaches that we, we praise loudly and we critique quietly. And I think that's a great way to, to operate because, if so, you know, if I see something good across the field, I'll make a big show of it. Yeah, and if I see something I need to get corrected, I'll walk up and grab the guy and just talk to him one-on-one. -on -one. No one likes to be criticized publicly. Yeah. It's humiliating and, and demeaning and... and uh, you know, we really make an effort not to do that. And it doesn't help. It doesn't help at all. No, it just adds tension to an already tense situation, generally. Dads, we got to catch our kids doing the right things. We got to catch our kids, catch our kids doing the right things. And so often, dads, so much of our parenting is done from a pathological perspective, from the view of what our kids are doing wrong and what they need to start doing right. But what if we turned that on its head? What if we came at our parenting from the perspective of affirming our kids for everything that they're doing right because they're doing a lot of stuff right? I promise they are. What if we came at it from capitalizing on everything good they're doing and adding fuel to the good stuff they're doing fire? In the Bible, in the book of Colossians, the author, a guy named Paul, he has strong words for we dads in that very vein. Look at Colossians 3.21, if you would. Fathers, it says, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. That word aggravate has in view the idea of irritating one's own children by either nagging or deriding them, irritating them through perpetual fault finding. Dads, that is absolutely toxic to our kids. I've done it before and it is absolutely, I watch the sinking feeling, the sinking look on our kids' faces when I fall into that trap, but it is absolutely toxic. It causes them to be discouraged. Sure, our kids might be obedient, but it's as if their spirits have been crushed and broken. Yeah, they obey us, but something is missing from their spirits, from who God made them to be. John Newton, who you know as the great preacher and great hymn writer, he said it this way. He said, I know that my father loved me, but he did not seem to wish me to see it. I know my father loved me, but he did not seem to wish me to see it. Dads, we must discipline our kids. We must discipline our kids. But we must also give our kids heaping, and I mean heaping doses of encouragement because obedience is nurtured by love. Obedience is nurtured by praise. It's very clear to me at the end of this interview, at the end of my conversation with Coach Ash, that he is moving the Bobcat football team toward a very clear vision, toward a preferred future. You've probably noticed the same thing. And dads, as the head coach of our kids and our families, what is your vision for your family? What is your preferred future for your family? Most importantly, the question we ought to be asking is what is God's preferred future for your family? What does that look like?
You've all heard the phrase, I love it, aim at nothing and you'll hit it every single time. It's true, isn't it? It's just the way life goes. Aim at nothing, you'll hit it every single time. I think a great motto for dads is this, establish the end before you begin. Establish the end before you begin. Conjure up a picture of what you want your kids and your family to look like in the next 5, 10, even 20 years. Because see, when we as dads, when we establish a vision, when we establish a preferred future, an end, if we begin with an end in mind, that's when then we can intelligently develop a strategy of fathering so that we have some idea what we should do next. When we round a bend and we're faced with an obstacle, we have the end in mind. And we'll get through that obstacle this way because that will lead us to the end that we have in heart and in mind. By us as dads, carefully defining the objective, we know then when we must change course, when we need to make corrections in our coaching of our kids and our whole families. And dads, I want you to know that around Journey Church, we exist to serve you and your entire family. We absolutely want you to be the best head coach you can possibly be. And it is not easy, is it? And if you feel like you need some assistance in your role of dad, the family coach, it takes a little muster to raise your hand and actually say that. But I invite you to just do it. Just raise up the white flag and say, you know, it's not going very well. Not right now. Like, don't raise your hand right now. It's not going very well around my house. And I need some real help. We'd be delighted to partner you with a mentor who would help you envision what your family's preferred future, what God's preferred future might be for your family. Maybe you're a dad who has the family coach thing all dialed in. You've got it nailed. Maybe you would be willing to pour into some dads to help coach them to their family's preferred future. Either way, would you please not leave this room today without using those cards that are in those chair pockets in front of you and just let us know one way or the other. Someone from our men's mentoring group will be in touch with you in the coming days and talk to you about next steps in that regard. Don't be too scared to raise up a white flag and say you need help. Don't be too scared to go, I kind of got this dialed in. I'd be delighted to help. We all get better that way. And this is a safe place. No one will think any different of you. I'm going to invite you just to take your things and set them aside if you would. And I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads and just talk to the Lord about what it is that you're thinking about. Just tell God what's on your heart and your mind, if you would. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you would, for the next few moments. And maybe you're a dad. And maybe you slip into this room tonight and you realize that your head coaching skill, it hasn't been going all that great at your house. I just invite you to use this time to pound a stake in the ground and tell the Lord, Lord, we're headed in a different direction around our house, starting right here and right now. Father's Day 2008, things are going to be different in our house. And that takes a whole lot of courage and that takes a whole lot of boldness. But God's with you. He has a preferred future. 
He has a vision for you and for your family. And he's not going to leave you out there by yourself to figure it out. He's going with you. Don't leave this room today without doing the business you need to do with God in that regard. It can be a whole new start for your fatherhood from this day forward. And maybe as you sit in this room today, as you reflect in these moments, you know that you don't have a relationship with your heavenly father, the God of the universe. I want you to know that it doesn't have to stay that way. As a matter of fact, God doesn't even want it to be that way. God loves you so much that he made a way for you to have a relationship with him starting right here and right now. He did that by sending his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to be your savior, to be the rescuer of your soul. And you can choose to put your faith and trust in him, and you can begin a friendship with God today even. You can come home to God maybe for the first time in your life right now. And if that's you, if that's the choice of your heart today, I invite you to express that to God by praying along with me. Right where you're sitting, you can pray a prayer that goes like this. God, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to make a way for me to have a relationship with you. God, I know that I've sinned in ways that I shouldn't have. But today, God, I realize that you are perfect and that you are holy. And God, that my sin has separated me from you. God, with everything in me, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I ask you to please forgive me. Please send Jesus to live inside of me. God, I want you to be my friend. God, I need you to change me. God, I need you to clean my life up. And starting today, God, I make you the boss of my life. And if you prayed that prayer with me just then, that's the most important decision of your whole life. Nothing matters more, nothing carries more weight, nothing's a bigger deal than that right there. And it's such a big deal that around here we think it's important that you put your marker down, that you let somebody know that you made the decision to give your life to God. And so if you chose to do that just then with me, would you be so bold as to slip your hand up and make eye contact with me and say, yeah, I gave my heart and my life to God just then. I did that. Yeah, you in the back, way to go. there be anyone else let's make sure I catch your eye God thank you so much for the high privilege and calling of fatherhood we do not take it lightly it's a big big deal the fact that you entrust what are ultimately your kids into our care is an amazing deal kind of scares our socks off as we think about it God The good news is, though, that you're with us. You don't just leave us drifting out there trying to figure it out on our own. You're walking beside us. You're teaching us. You're shaping us. You're showing us the way, God, to ultimately help our kids, help our families be equipped, be set up to win every single day, God. Please empower the dads of Journey Church in that vein, please, God. Please release them to the high calling of fatherhood, the high calling of being the head coach of their house, of their families, of their kids, God. 
May they go in boldness and strength and the power of your Holy Spirit, God, as they go about that high calling. Make them dads in your image, God, and you are the perfect heavenly father. Make us all dads in your image, please.